I'm Tavin Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavin Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate workshops in both in-person and virtual settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. To find out how we can help you today with your leadership challenges and discover your untapped opportunities, visit our website at tavinasir.com. And now let's meet my guest for this episode, Faisal Hawk. Faisal is an accomplished entrepreneur, senior executive, and best-selling author with more than 25 years of cross-industry success. He is the founder of several companies, including Shadoka and Next Chapter, that focuses on enabling sustainable and transformational changes. Faisal's work has appeared in numerous media outlets, including Fast Company, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, and Forbes, to name a few. He is also the author of two best-selling books, Everything Connects, Cultivating Mindfulness, Creativity and Innovation for Long-Term Value, and Lift, Fostering the Leader in You Amid Revolutionary Global Change. Hi, Faisal. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Thank you so much for having me. You and I have known each other for a couple of years, and I've been wanting to have you on my show for so long. I am so delighted that we finally have an opportunity here to connect and discuss some of your insights on leadership appraisal. Thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. I was, uh, you know, it's been a while since we, we, we connected. So yes, likewise, very much so. So Faisal, to start things off here, I have to tell you what an optimistic prescription your book Lift is in terms of not only what's required of leaders to succeed in today's environment, but also what opportunities lie out there for all of us to do something meaningful through our contributions and efforts. Of course, in order to get to that optimistic understanding of what we need to change about leadership, we need to first address what's driving that change. And in your book, you identify four drivers of change. The Fourth Industrial Revolution, COVID-19, climate change, and the spread of misinformation. So I was wondering if you could walk us through these four drivers of change, Faisal, and in particular, what their impact is on how leaders need to reassess the way they approach leading others. Sure. Um, you know, and, and you know, I think it's, it's when I was uh, thinking about this, these four drivers are you know, on the surface, seems very disjointed, but they're very much interconnected, and it's kind of propelled, and it's a, like an exponential effect of how all these things has come together in last uh, three, four years. So if you look at fourth industrial revolution, I mean, this is really a convergence of all kind of technology, uh, you know, not just uh, automation and AI, but, uh, you know, b- biomedical science and, and nanotechnology uh, IoT, et cetera, et cetera. It's all kind of converts, right? And it making us uh, the way we work and way we think and way we interact very differently. So that's one. Uh, second is that, you know, we all know COVID-19. Uh, that has an impact how we work, how we behave, how we, um, you know, play and, and you know, how we interacted. And we have been completely all of our social life structure has changed. Uh, you know, forced us to re- change and rethink, right? And it has a long-term socio-behavioral impact 
that will that we will see probably many years to come, right? Then you look at climate change, you know, and and you know that's very near and dear to me because you know I was born in Bangladesh, which is a you know which kind of nestles between uh, Nepal uh, and India and 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 whatnot, and it's a delta whereby we have constant flooding uh, from Himalayas and it goes to Bay of Bengal, and and as a result, many people repeatedly gets. Uh, uh, you know, uh, force. You know, they get migrated by force. Is it's and and they have to transplant somewhere else because they no longer have homes, and it creates a ripple effect on economy and people's livelihood or how they live, etc., uh, etc. Et right. So, so I, you know, and if you look at last few years, I mean, we've been seeing that globally, everywhere, it has an impact on supply chain management. It has an impact on uh, production. It has an impact on on where we work and how we have to, you know, transplant somewhere else, uh, whatnot. And that also gets connected to technology and how we live and how we work and et cetera, right? And then the fourth stuff, which is, I mean, you know, the technology is a is a is a uh, blessing and as a curse as well. Social media and all these technology platform has created a enormous amount of uh, misinformation, uh, regardless whatever your belief system is, whether you're in the left or right, it doesn't matter. We are bombarded with all kind of uh, uh, misinformation and we kind of live in an echo chamber. And it has an impact on, on, on all sorts of ways how we work and live and play. So if you look at those four things, those are all opportunities. But and if you on the surface, those are major driver of change uh, in a negative way, but that also creates the, the opportunity to create a lot of positive uh, things that individually we can focus on, but also as an organization. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. I think for many people, the focus tends to be on the impacts of the fourth industrial revolution and COVID-19, where especially in the conversations I've had with leaders over the past year, a lot of the conversation tends to pivot around discussing the impact of automation and AI implementations in their internal processes. And of course, we're seeing lately as a result of COVID-19 and our understanding of how people no longer need to focus on where they work. It's more about how and when. And there's this push and tension we're seeing, a growing tension between employees and employers where it's becoming, do we go back to a return to office approach or do we recognize that the way of work has fundamentally changed and will continue to evolve over time? But as you point out, and when you really think about it, these other two elements of misinformation and climate change are really playing a part in all of this. For example, climate change is impacting supply chain, which can impact some of your choices in terms of technological changes you want to make in your organization. It also impacts maybe where your organization can set up shop because it might become more prohibitively expensive due to environmental reasons. And then misinformation, you know, there's a lot of conversations lately about collaboration and getting people to work together, but if we're becoming more polarized thanks to misinformation on a variety of topics, that can impact our ability to really collaborate with people and not just cooperating with people, as you mentioned in your book. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, I mean, we have a, also lots of conversation about diversity, inclusiveness, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's hard to do that if we all live in echo chamber and if we're all biased, how do we how do we be uh, how do we become inclusive, right? Because 
inclusivity comes from having an open mind and uh, you know like a beginner's mind to learn and beginner's mind to to accept other people and their belief system but if you're already biased with all kind of misinformation it's hard to embrace other ideas and other uh, topics and other other culture and other race uh, orientation whatever you want to call it it's difficult to do that right so and then then at that impacts uh, how we collaborate and co-create, right? I mean, uh, innovation does not come without uh, co-creation and and collaboration, but it's hard to do that if you're all biased uh, because we don't just believe each other because we live in our own little echo chamber, right? So right there is a, is a big impediment, right? And then you look at, um, you know, uh, the technological stuff that we talked about. I mean, you know, I mean, I've always said this, you know, and I've always worked in a kind of a, hybrid mode because uh, my teams have always been very global in different time zones. And, uh, you know, but you got to manage progress, not people. I mean, I think we still kind of try to manage people in terms of, you know, how many hours they punch in and, and you know, where they are working from, this and that. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, if we focus on managing progress uh, and impact, uh, that minds, um, you know, that mind shift change could have a significant thoughts about where and how people work and what's, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, face-to-face interaction and you can't really replace that, but it also doesn't have to be somebody has to come and sit in your office 40 hours and that makes somebody productive, right? So there's a balance, you know, and all of this is about um, careful and crucial balance between, um, you know, how we think about it, how we do it and how we measure impact. Now, Faisal, one thing these four drivers of change have created is a fair amount of uncertainty about the near future, let alone what's the long-term view. And I love this bit of personal advice you share in this first section of your book of lessons learned for how to deal with uncertainty brought on by such upheavals as you've described. Of course, one that I particularly like mirrors an idea Canadian astronaut and former commander of the International Space Station, Chris Hadfield, mentioned is something he learned from his time at NASA which is learning to sweat the small stuff. Because if you think of what you could do if the worst thing happened, you no longer worry about it because you know you have ideas of possible solutions or workarounds. So I was wondering before we delve into the opportunities these four drivers of change are creating and are leaving out there for us to explore, could you share some of these personal lessons of yours for how we can deal with these disruptive changes that make it harder for us to have a clear view of the future? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the you know, I'm in you, you. That example is a great example. Uh, on my desk, I have the last lecture, and you obviously know in the last lecture, you know, it's like, uh, you know, one of the thing uh, uh, that that uh, I have learned is that you know you can't really, um, you know, focus on future and and but also cannot be fearful about future because uh, if you look at, you know, I, 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 I look at these things as a, as a kind of like a um, optimism with pragmatism in the sense that if you prepare for the worst case scenario, then maybe, uh, you know, the, the changes and surprises wouldn't be so shocking, right? And, and uh, certain things you can't plan for. So I will give you a very personal example and it's very, very personal uh, you know, I was when I was writing Lyft, um, or actually when I when I thought of writing Lyft, 
Uh, I have a 19, you know, at that time, my son was 18 and a half. He, he started college and uh, uh, he comes home and sick. We think it's uh, COVID. Turns out he has a, has a rare um, uh, a blood cancer and you don't expect uh, your child to come home with blood cancer news, right? So, so it kind of totally threw our whole family uh, upside down. And I almost I kind of stopped everything. But I went back to last lecture. And one of the things I learned from last lecture was that it doesn't matter what the future is, you have to plow through and plan for the worst case scenario, and find motivation into it and, and do the best you can do for a positive, uh, uh, you know, for a positive uh, present and hopefully for a positive uh, future. So I, you know, found the, the energy and the motivation uh, uh, to, to, to kick, obviously to take care of him, but, and we is doing fine by the way now. And, uh, but also I created a whole uh, new organization and I'm, I'm doing quite a bit of writing all for the uh, um, hope of generating enough uh, revenue for, for hundred percent, uh, of, of charity donation to cancer research, right? So I wouldn't have done that, if, uh, you know, if I wasn't facing with that kind of personal adversity, right? So often enough, you know, these personal adversity creates opportunity to do good uh, for yourself and for others. And to me, that's the insp inspiration and the optimism you can find in anything. So whether you look at pandemic, whether you look at climate change, whether you look at uh, you know, disastrous financial situation or personal health issues, uh, you know, sometimes it's great opportunity to do some good. So that's how I live. And that's what I try to portray in Lyft, messed up while I was, I've been dealing with, uh, uh, you know, taking care of my boy. Well, I have to tell you, Faisal, I appreciate you sharing this personal story. And I'm relieved to hear he's doing better. As a parent myself, I know from personal experience how quickly the solid ground beneath your feet falls apart when something happens to your child, even though that's when you need that solid footing to be there. So I appreciate you sharing this, Faisal. And again, I'm, I'm really glad to hear he and your family are doing better. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, we've been blessed and I count my blessing every day and you know, we, I mean, you know, in the book, we talked a lot about healthcare. Uh, part of this was a kind of a, a renewed interest in healthcare uh, because what I've been going through, and, you know, my mother who was elderly and she, uh, you know, we had to deal deal with her uh, during the pandemic because she was at a, you know, she's at a nursing home. So, uh, you know, I mean, you can look at things from a very different angle and that's what creates optimism, right? So, uh, as an example, I mean telehealth. Uh, you know the way it it, it 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 got a renewed life because of pandemic, right? I mean, and a lot of this microsurgery and and a lot of the way we are doing research in healthcare space. Those are all opportunity because of these, uh, you know, these these massive change drivers that we've seen last five six years and. I don't think we would have had that if we didn't have those kind of adversity. So I always look at things from that angle. And and so you can't really plan for future, but sometimes when you have massive obstacle, uh, you can look at, uh, you know, a silver lining and and kind of shift your mindset to 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 create something uh, positive and focus on positive aspect of our global society. 
So with this in mind, Faisal, I'd love to dive into how these four drivers of change are creating opportunities to transform things for the better. And I love how you point out that this all begins with the individual, that probably for the first time ever, each of us, and I think your story reflects that, has the ability to choose and do work that matters to us as much as it matters to the organization. And I think this reflects the current tension we're seeing, at least here in North America, between employees and employers, where there's a more public push from employers to get people back in the office full time and employees on the other side who now have proof we don't need to operate under the old approach of nine to five, Monday to Friday in order to achieve the organization's business objectives. Now, for sure, part of what's behind the return to office push by some leaders stems from an attitude of embracing a command and control style of leadership. But I do think in many cases, it's also because for many leaders, they don't know how to lead employees and teams that are more nebulous in nature. But you make a very strong case here for why leaders should embrace and welcome this change where employees are in more control of where and when they work, because ultimately, this can only lead to not only more productive employees, but also team members who will have developed new skills and abilities that will only serve to strengthen the organization as a whole. So could you elaborate on how this individual empowerment brought on by these drivers of change is actually beneficial, not just for the employee, but for their organization as well? So so first start with that individualistic uh, mindset, uh, which, which a lot of times uh, leaders uh, fail to do. And you talked about command and control. I mean, all of us grew up with that, uh, at least people in our age group, we all grew up with that command and control, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 learning, right? So, I mean, I, I, I work for GE. I work for down in Bradstreet in, in the late 80s and 90s. And those were the Jack Wilson's days. And you can imagine how commanding and controlling those kind of corporations were. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, um, you know, it, it kind of starts with, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, it's hard for leaders to lead. Uh, in a, in a, in this new world, because it it comes with uh, it start with you know uh, with with uh, how you see world and how you connect with the world with with the lens of empathy, right? So uh, if you if you if you can put yourself in the shoe of other folks, uh, it's easier to lead people, and and it's it's a very simple thing, but it is very very difficult to practice because. Human nature is is very much about um, self preservation, and and it's it, we always put ourselves by nature. You know, we we put ourselves first, and then think about other people and what whatever personal uh, you know uh, challenges they may be going through. So when you put that empathetic lens lens, that allows you to create this emotional intelligence, and that actually allows us to to mindfully connect with the people that we're leading. So it kind of starts there. And and uh, so so many leaders haven't quite figured out how to do that because they look at spreadsheet and they look at okay I've got this ten tasks that needs to be done uh, this next month next quarter next year and kind of like you know goes through that notion and uh, every meeting starts with okay where are we with this and where are we with that and that not that doesn't necessarily you know inspire people so so but you know. Uh, if you take that sense of, of of empathy and and ability to connect with people, you actually have a better chance of inspiring uh, uh, the folks that you're working with, and you 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 have a 
opportunity to to influence how those uh, people that you're leading work with you. And then as a result, the output they're creating can be much more interesting and much more, uh, you know, uh, impactful, right? So, and technology is at a place now where it allows us to do that. So for example, I mean, I, I work with a pretty uh, extensive creative team, uh, not just because of my writing and, and whatnot, but, but also because of the fact that my company produces uh, these, uh, you know, we, we are in the business of producing software that requires a lot of creative interfaces and whatnot. And, I've, you know, the creative types, I mean, their whole biorhythm is is uh, uh, different uh, in the sense that some folks likes to work at night, some people works at likes to work in the in the morning, uh, and 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 each individual has their one way of working. And I can't tell them that okay, look, I need you to come here at five o'clock. Sorry, uh, come here at nine o'clock, and and then produce it by four o'clock. It just wouldn't happen, right? So. So this this lens of of respecting and realizing uh, how each person work and how do we collaborate with those folks uh, in their terms uh, to get the best out of them, utilizing technology as an enabler, is going to be the next generation process of of uh, influencing, leading, and executing. Uh, uh, what we want to do, and, and and the reality is, look, I mean, this idea of office. I mean, what is I mean in a in a global environment, if you have five teams, what are you going to do? Have people fly from India and from Spain and from Texas and and uh, everybody else in in your office in New York? Well, it, you can't. So you're already working remotely. So once you expand your mind, that well, office is each person where they're sitting. Then it changes, right? But and you know it doesn't it doesn't work for every field. Like for obviously that doesn't work uh, when you're talking about a, uh, a trauma center in a hospital, or if you're talking about a manufacturing plant where people needs to come together. But in most field, it is possible to have that that collaboration uh, and coming people together for the sake of creation, not the face for the sake of. Oh, I work and I get a paycheck. Uh, those days are long. I'm glad, Faisal, that you're bringing up the relevance of empathy in terms of how we lead today and going forward. But there is something else you talk about that is a point that I find we're not really discussing when we talk about how to go about creating these hybrid work environments. And it's the impact climate change will have on the future of work and how we go about working. Now, in Lyft, one of your co-authors shares the story of how her office building was badly damaged following a major earthquake in California, and she wrote about not just the productivity hit this had on the company, but also the emotional toll, again, touching on that notion of empathy, because people felt they were trapped underground because of the various enclosures put around the building as it underwent repairs, that People kept calling in sick, and some people ended up just leaving because they just couldn't handle operating in that space that was so badly damaged by the earthquake. Now, if we think of the devastating forest fires that ravaged Western Canada and the U.S. last year, as well as those in Spain and other parts of Europe this year, not to mention the hurricanes that hit Atlantic Canada and Florida, there's definitely a tactical advantage for companies to have a more disparate instead of localized workforce, as those outside of impacted areas could keep certain processes of the company going while the others are dealing with repairing the damage at their site. So 
In light of the increasing severity of natural disasters we're seeing around the world, Faisal, do you think that we might start seeing this starting to factor into those discussions about the future of work in various organizations, that it won't just be about, oh, well, how are we going to maintain company culture and encourage collaboration, but really we're going to have to also start addressing this disruptor of change as well? Uh, for sure. Look, I mean, uh, it's it's kind of interesting because, uh, I mean, we, we you know, I mean, if you look at technology, technology because I come from that space, I mean, you know, we we have always had like a redundancy and a disaster recovery and backups and this and that, right? I mean, we now move to cloud and we have backup of the cloud and they're all in different locations. If one location goes down, then we kind of quickly bring up the other location, right? But we haven't quite, haven't come to the point thinking about our human asset uh, the similar way. So in many ways the the diverse and uh you know multi location uh workforce is an advantage not a disadvantage right and and the way you you establish that culture and collaboration is you know another thing we talk about in the book is you know i mean you know um you need to make all these very systemic so so you know when i talk about like disaster recovery or redundancy from a technological point of view, like it's clear East Coast is down, so we quickly bring up West Coast so that we don't lose our, uh, you know, uh, tech, you know the, the information technology infrastructure. I mean, if you start thinking from that point of view, there's a systemic execution that gotten in place that allows us to do that. Now, when our, when we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the human assets, uh, the work process, uh, has to be also have some sort of a uh, systemic, uh, uh, you know, uh, execution and systemic infrastructure that allows us to say, okay, well, look, we're going to collaborate creatively, but everybody, uh, you know, puts their things in one place that if people can get up at a different time and, and look at them, right? A lot of those basic thinking of systemic uh, infrastructure in place allows us for better collaboration while we're applying this very empathetic outlook, you work whenever you feel like, and you work from whenever, but that also has to be managed with that systemic infrastructure. And then you, you, you know, if we are create a culture that are constantly learning uh, from the experiences that we are having, which we call the experiential learning, uh, that also allows us to, to kind of adapt quickly uh, than just having a rigid, outlook that, well, we have always done this this way, this is how it's going to be. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I mean, we know from very well from last four or five years that that is the furthest thing from the truth, right? What used to work uh, 12 months ago absolutely doesn't work today, right? So so that adaptive mentality comes from experiential learning only uh, if you have an open mind to to to, to learn and, and quickly change the behavioral pattern and and uh, other way of, of of doing things right so so those three combination is i think is the key to success for next generation uh organizational development and also personal development meaning the you know the the empathy combined with the mindset of systemic execution and then this constant uh learning pattern from experiences that we're experiencing uh you know, with a lot of different changes that are happening around us. And I think this reflects what I find is the heart of your book. And that is the message that 
The change we've been experiencing is not merely a blip or a detour, but it's a reflection of our new reality. And in some ways, I'd say it's less perpetual change than recognizing a continual state of societal evolution. And that given this notion of change being a constant, you make the argument that the best approach to the way we lead is embracing transformational leadership. And I really appreciate the point you've been making that what's key to being a transformational leader is not just being innovative or a risk taker, but that it's you demonstrate a genuine empathy to everyone around you, your colleagues, your employees, and those your organization serves through your various offerings. And that a key component to emotional intelligence is our willingness to exist in the opaque areas where things are not necessarily clear and understood. But that's where empathy helps us because it provides us with the abilities and behaviors to gain greater clarity when things are unknown or uncertain. And one way we're able to achieve this through understanding something I've spoken about in one of my leadership special shots, which is about the power of our words. But you also point out it comes down to the kinds of questions we should be asking where our empathy serves to shape and inform systemic thinking and action. And in this section of your book where you're discussing, okay, how do we go forward and embrace transformational leadership and understand the relevance empathy, as you were pointing out, plays in it, you offer a lot of insightful questions for leaders to evaluate their current processes and where the external changes are. What you just said, like that what worked maybe 12 months ago doesn't necessarily work right now. but I was wondering if you could share some questions that you should start asking themselves, not only to help them better manage through these changing times and to help them understand where maybe they need to reassess how they go about doing things, but also that would help them to start thinking more like a transformational leader. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it it really starts with, uh, let's start with some very basic fundamentals, right? I mean, so, so, you know, it starts with, okay, what's your purpose? Why, Why do you even exist? Right. And, 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 um, uh, you know, and, and your purpose may be that, okay, we want, you want to change the world. Your purpose may be also that, uh, meaning as a company or an organization that you want to, uh, you know, increase your revenue, uh, by, by, uh, you know, uh, 40% year after year. Uh, um, uh, and, and they may be totally two different things, but they could be also aligned. I mean, you know, you saw the recent, um, announcement by Patagonia. You know where they just made the whole organization for for doing uh, good for the planet, right? So so uh, it, it really starts there because it, that creates an alignment between who you are as an organization and does that thing to the to the people that you have around you, right? And and that kind of starts the process of all right. So if I know that, then how do I add value? Uh, you know, uh, to 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 the audience that we're, I'm trying to reach, meaning my customer, my partners, my vendors, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, then the next question is, how do I go about it? And how do I, how do I, um, you know, uh, create that that packaging and the pricing and 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 the affordability that 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 uh, people latches onto these. So these are very basic questions, but if you dig deeper into that and the more deep you go into uh even though it starts with a philosophical tenant it, it gets into pretty granular answer uh that creates that alignment to bring people together to do what you really wanted to do as a as a uh, individual but as uh, also as a as an organization right um 
and 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 that alignment is very very critical for creating successful organization and constantly reinventing yourself. I'll give you like a you know a, a, you know this is a, a, a example that all of us can relate to. I mean, you know you you saw during the pandemic, uh, you know there was lots of restaurants just shut down left and right, but there are lots of restaurants also like thrived because you know people still needed to feed and the folks that were building those rest, you know, they own the restaurant said, well, like we, we, we want to feed people, but we have to reinvent ourselves to uh, adapt in the, in the situation where the food can be packaged in a way that that can be uh, uh, delivered and it still stayed somewhat fresh and people would love the taste of it. Right. So, it, it, and, and those restaurants thrived and their businesses quadrupled and, and they couldn't keep up with the demand. On the other hand, some of the restaurants has closed, right? So, so that's a very basic example, and I'm using that because we we kind of all kind of live through it as as a, as a society. Or if you look at it, the telehealth as an as an example, I mean, I mean, we all needed to see doctor, and we could have couldn't have imagined like talking to a doctor over a phone, but we did it, right? And and it 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 works, right? So a lot of those things comes from people has a need. I want to. I I have a passion. And I, my passion matches up with that need, and I can provide that value. Uh, and as a result, I can create uh, a, a, a process and a product and an offering. Uh, and and as a result, I can I can win together uh, in the ecosystem. It's not winning uh, by while somebody else is losing, but it's winning as a community. And as a result, you we collectively succeed. You know, it's that kind of mentality. And those are the critical questions that every organization should be asking. So, Fazil, at the end of your book, you point out how these four drivers have changed. The fourth industrial revolution, COVID-19, climate change, and the spread of misinformation have created both challenges and opportunities we hadn't seen or had to address before. And how this really isn't a bad thing, because what it's done is it's allowed all of us to be owners of our own futures as we're empowered both to choose what we want to do with our own lives and also how we choose to create value and meaning beyond ourselves. And while that's a very uplifting idea, I think it can also be a bit scary because it makes our world of choice perhaps more expansive than we thought it was. So could you share some advice here for how we can embrace that multitude of possibilities that we can open ourselves to not only to transform how we lead, but also to hopefully make things better and maybe even help move the needle on some of these daunting challenges we face right now. Look, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, and, you know, there's a saying, like people like structure and people hate structure, right? So, I mean, <laughs> when, when we have too much opportunities, it, it can be scary because we can't focus what is it that we are supposed to focus on. Right. And and when, when the, you know, people always feel... Uh, uh, comfortable uh, in the familiarity, right? So, for example, I mean, you, we've seen this in our kids and and students, right? I mean, some people really, some students really thrived in the online environment, and some people felt, some students felt very isolated, and they couldn't really cope with this distance learning, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 situation that was created because of pandemic. And a similar, you know, similarly, like some. A leader uh, felt very comfortable leading in this change environment, and some leaders didn't. And and some entrepreneurs' business went bust. Some entrepreneurs' uh, 
business boom because of the situation, right? So if you look at it from that point of view, it's it's the adaptiveness and the uh, you know being able to connect with yourself. Uh, uh, what is it that 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 uh, that drives you, and what is it that you feel and find passionate about, and how does that connect with the rest of the world? Uh, that kind of creates that path for opportunity, and and uh, you know, and and you know, and and, and it, 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 we are at a situation where our opportunity is enormous in terms of learning, uh, creating new businesses, scaling a, a large organization to the next level. Or starting the next uh, next uh, uh, startup, or 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 you know changing the way um, you know healthcare is changing and and leading the people uh, workforce in a different way. I mean, there's all kind of opportunity. The challenge is really figuring out where do you want to focus and how do you want to go about. And and uh, now because the opportunities are so many, uh, you know it, it's it's a little more daunting. You know, like when I grew up. The choices was: Do you want to become a doctor? Do you want to become an engineer? Or do you want <laughs> yeah. to do this? Right? <laughs> and if I talk to my son, and he would say, "What are you talking about? Why do I have to become this and that and that? And I can be all of it or nothing." You know, what I mean. So, so that's that's the challenge. You know, it's the, but it, it's it, you have to really connect with yourself. Uh, that sounds kind of like uh, um, you know overstated, but it, it's you really have to discover your authenticity and as a result it creates opportunity it's like your intention is your destiny but it's you have to really find that within yourself to be able to take opportunity to take advantage of all the opportunity that all these things brings to the table uh now more than ever yep and Fazil, you heard me laughing because i can very much relate to that binary choice that you had growing <laughs> up but it is wonderful to see and i think one thing that we're not paying much attention to how when most of us were growing up, we had these notions of what we wanted to be when we grew up. Some of us wanted to be astronauts, yeah. some of us wanted to be firefighters, others wanted to be doctors, and so forth. And yet recently I watched this video of this leader visiting this elementary school to inspire children about what they could be in the future. And I remember the interviewer went up to this one girl and asked her, what did she want to be when she grew up? Did she want to be a scientist or a computer programmer or a doctor? And the girl just looked at the reporter and said, matter of factly, I want to be everything. <laughs> now, this girl was probably eight or nine years old, but her response reflects this changing reality where there are a multitude of opportunities and possibilities out there. So why limit ourselves? Why not be open to going down different paths and exploring new ways? especially if that means we can do work that matters and that we can add value to some larger vision or purpose that we want to be a part of. For sure. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole notion of, I mean, this is the challenge with uh, leaders to manage employees because everybody now wants to live in their own terms, right? We're all living and we have the option to live in our own terms. I mean, think about, I mean, I couldn't have imagined uh, my life the way it is now or way it has turned out. Uh, let's say when I started my career in late, uh, you know, late '80s, early '90s, because I went to work as an engineer in an R&D shop, right? So uh, I, now I write, I, you know, I, which is really passion project. Uh, I, I, you know, I work with our government. I work with pub, 
private sector and I, my, my, I've got many hats, right? So, and I enjoy these multifaceted opportunity, right? And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't give that up for anything because what fun it would be to be just a, uh, you know, do one thing and not, you know, one thing and one thing alone and not have that diversified experience within which is, uh, you know, who I am, uh, maybe not my bank balance, but it suddenly enriches my, my, uh, you know the person I am, and I wouldn't I wouldn't give up that for anything, and that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't the where now and the way where the world is, and the the way world allows us to explore all those opportunities, you know, right from our homes, right. So so that's that's I think is the most opportunistic thing and optimistic thing uh, of of current state of the globe as a whole. Well, Faisal, you know, I said at the beginning of our conversation, I said that your book was an optimistic prescription of what leaders need to do to not just succeed in today's environment, but to really embrace all the multitude of opportunities that are out there. And I certainly think the conversation you've taken us on has allowed us to take that journey where now we're looking past things like the pandemic and the fourth industrial age and the impacts these other things like misinformation and climate change are having and realizing it's opening the door to new possibilities, new opportunities. And we need to be more open and receptive to embracing them. And key to that, as you've said throughout our conversation, is becoming more empathetic as leaders, that we don't just see things from our own eyes, but that we're willing to hear and understand how others see and experience the world and how understanding that can enrich our understanding of the world and help open our eyes to those possibilities. And I got to tell you, Faisal, I knew I was going to be in for a treat being able to finally sit down with you and talk about your book and how the changes we all experienced have made it incumbent for leaders to embrace this transformational leadership style where they are inspiring their employees to bring their best efforts to work instead of simply mandating how and where they work. And I have to say, this was just a lovely conversation, Fazl. I know we took so long to have it, but it was well worth the wait. I really enjoyed speaking with you, my friend. Thank you so much. You know, I, I've always enjoyed uh, what you do and and the things you put out and and uh, we've known each other for a while now and and uh, you know I, I was looking forward to it and I totally enjoyed it and thank you very much appreciate it. Well, I gotta say you did all the heavy lifting, my friend. I just, just like the audience here, just sitting here enjoying listening to you with your pragmatic optimism, which is something I'm pretty much in the same boat with you on. And so I just appreciate you, my friend, and appreciate what you shared through your book. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tavari. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure, an honor. Uh, and and you know, I'm glad we had this conversation because I think we were cut from the same plot. Basil and I have been talking about his book, Lift, fostering the leader in you amid revolutionary global change. You can learn more about Faisal's book and his work in the episode show notes, which can be found on our podcast page at tampanasir.com slash LBC. And if you're looking for a leadership expert to speak at your next conference, or if you're looking for someone to facilitate a leadership workshop at your next leadership event, please do check out my speaking page at tampanasir.com or just use the contact form so we can discuss the kinds of insights and subjects I can speak on at your event. I'm Tavin Nasir, 
And you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. 